Good to see y'all. You guys having a good week? Hanging in there, the 80 degrees this morning, 45 degrees tonight, 30 degrees tomorrow night. Welcome to Alabama in March, y'all. If you're not from Alabama, this is, this is us. <laughs> That's how we roll. So, wait, so glad to have you guys here tonight. I'm Kyle, one of the, or one of the college pastors. I am the college pastor. Sorry, y'all, BCM and Alberta in my head get confused sometimes. I am the only college pastor here, um, but uh, so glad to have you guys uh, with us tonight. If you got a Bible, you go and turn to the book of Mark. We're going to start in Mark 4 tonight, so you can go and turn there. Uh, while you're turning there, we are in a series we've been doing uh, kind of on and off this semester, uh, answering questions that you had uh, throughout the break. Uh, you guys gave us a diverse amount of questions to talk about, so we're kind of going through some of these and responding uh, to them. And so to, uh, last week, or really the past two times we've done this series, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, we're, we're turning a corner now to some different things. Tonight, we're going to talk about one question you submitted, which is, what do I do if a friend walks away from the faith, uh, walks away from Christ? And then uh, next week, we'll probably do our last week of the Q&A series. We're going to uh, ask the question, uh, what does the Bible say about alcohol? So that would be the interesting one. So that, that's the one that you may... Want to be here for to hear some things, maybe some hot takes. I don't really know. So, um, but uh, but tonight we're talking about this idea of what what I do when a friend walks away from the faith. I understand this is a uh, it's a hard uh, idea, it's a hard topic. I'll share a little bit of my personal experience in this in a second. But you know, if you have kept up much with culture, even just the past couple of years, you probably have heard of this idea of deconstruction stories. Anybody heard of those recently? Am I the only one who's on Twitter and sees this stuff? So deconstruction stories have become more of a thing the past few years, and it's almost like an anti-testimony in some kind of ways that many, uh, especially more well-known Christians, have begun to, began to come out and say, hey, you know what, like I, I've identified as a follower of Jesus for all my life, for most of my life, and I'm actually not anymore. I'm not, I'm not a Christian. And you got guys like Joshua Harris, who's been a pastor, an author. He wrote a pretty popular book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye that was not your generation at all, but my generation read that book a lot, and everybody wanted to court and not date. It was a weird time in the world. We wore Birkenstocks and wore Tommy Hilfiger, and it was a strange time. But, you know, but he wrote that book, very well-known pastor. He just recently, last year, said, hey, I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, he had a big influence on lots of people. Uh, you may be more familiar with like Rhett and Link, the YouTube YouTubers. They came out, well, I think last year, with a like eight-hour podcast talking about how they, uh, part of their story was they kind of got, got started in, you know, com- comedy, you know, working for Campus Crusade as missionaries, as, as Christians in that kind of way, but now they no longer identify as Christians. And, uh, and they, they spent at length lots of time uh, talking about why that was the case. And uh, Rhett, in, in that conversation, uh, said this that I thought was really profound. Uh, he said, The deeper I have dug into Christianity with a thirst for the truth, the more difficult it has become to find, or sorry, it's become to have faith. In fact, for me, it has become impossible. And that was kind of the reckoning for me. That was jumping ship. I kind of saw Christianity as this boat in a very stormy sea. It's stable, and there's lots of other people on it. It's got a destination. You're going to get through this, and and it gives you something to hold on to. It gives you stability. It gives you direction, and it gives you community. And when I jumped off the ship, I I didn't jump into another boat, but I jumped into the water, and I pulled my wife and my children in with me. It's a pretty powerful, you know, and just difficult thing to hear someone talk about. And I didn't listen to all eight hours of that, but I did listen to a few hours of it, and it, it really was very challenging to hear them talk about kind of their deconstruction story. Um, and, and so this idea of having friends walk away from the faith, you know, is, is not an, um, a, it's very much a 
you know, not popular, but it's a hot thing in our culture right now because of what's happening. But even outside of that, you know, you may have friends, family members, you know, maybe even uh, past people you don't in ministry who have at one point said, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but now I don't. Um, I, uh, I don't talk about this a lot, but I have numerous uh, close friends who had that story. Um, a close friend I had in, in high school who was a very devout Christian, you know, not long after she got into college, was like, yeah, I'm done with this. I don't believe this stuff anymore. This stuff is, is silly and has gotten off into some other stuff. Uh, my youth pastor in high school, in middle school, from all I can tell, I haven't talked to him in a while, but from all I can tell, he's, he's walked away from the faith. The guy that had incredibly, incredible impact that I have no problem saying God used in incredible ways doesn't seem to follow Jesus anymore. And so this is a very near and dear and very like, you know, hard thing for me to even think about, but it's something I've wrestled with and had to wrestle with in my life. And so I kind of want to help you guys uh, think through some of this tonight. I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't have a lot of perfect answers for this, but I want to kind of help us just think through um, some of these things uh, tonight. So uh, as we get started, and that's heavy, but that's kind of the the, the heaviness of our, of our topic tonight. You guys put this on us so when y'all ask this question, so you're, you're getting what you asked for, right? Um, but I want us to take us to Mark 4 to begin because as we had this conversation about deconstruction stories and, and, and Christians walking away, friends walking away from Christ, I want you to first to know that this is not a foreign thing to the Bible, for sure. Um, this is not something that Jesus himself was not you know, aware of and, and knew would happen. So I first want to point out Mark 4, a parable that Jesus tells that I think uh, is a helpful way for us to start thinking about this. So it'll be on the screen, um, but let's look at Mark 4, uh, just the very beginning of the chapter. Jesus says this, and again, this is Jesus, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them this parable, he said, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You skip down to verse uh, 14 because the disciples, after Jesus gets off the boat and kind of goes away with them in private, they're like, Jesus, what the heck was that about? Like, what, what does that mean? And he explains it in verse 14 on. He says, the sower sows the word, the word being the word of God. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So Jesus tells that story uh, really to point out a couple of things. Is that first off, he's telling us there are going to be people who seem to receive the truth of God or see the truth of Jesus and begin to follow him who are going to, as he would say, fall away. 
who are going to stop following him at some point. He kind of breaks down, you know, three or four different people in these different categories. The first is those who just never respond to the gospel. The gospel never takes root at all. Those are the first group. The second group is those that initially receive the gospel, but once they begin to realize that following Jesus is hard, they're out. Uh, They realize it costs too much. They walk away. The third group is some people that receive the gospel and then seem to follow Christ for a while. They initially follow him, but at some point, eventually, their love for the world and the deceitfulness of riches and and the things that the world values and treasures, uh, those things eventually lead them to walk away. And then lastly is those um, who truly know Christ, who are those that hear and receive the gospel, but then they're obedient and they're fruitful. So that's kind of the the four accounts. But the thing I want to point out is that in that parable, for a season of time— outside of the first group that never the seed never takes root for the other groups for a season they all look the same right like the, the seed has taken root in the ground it's beginning to grow right and so for a period of time you couldn't as an outside observer say hey this is like the the seed that's gonna not make it and this is the one that is like for a season they, they seem similar right and so Jesus is kind of explaining that, listen, for a season in certain followers of Christ's life, for people that profess to follow Jesus, you may have a hard time discerning some things and like who's really in this and who's not. And ultimately, the Lord is the only one that knows that. But we're going to have a hard time sometimes discerning exactly who that is. And so now another point in this parable I always need to point out is the fact that Jesus, when he says this, it does not mean that if you're one type of soil, you're always going to be that type of soil. I think one of the works of the gospel that only God can do is to make our hearts a different kind of soil. That, you know, if one person rejects the gospel or rejects it over and over again, or one person, you know, seems to be a rocky soil that immediately or quickly after following Christ says, this is too hard and I'm out, does it mean that they're always going to be that way? Does it mean that, that the Lord is done with them? We'll talk a lot more about this in a minute. But does it mean that God's done with them? God can absolutely change you from one soil to the next. But when it comes to just, you know, certain seasons and experiences in people's lives of following Christ— Many times someone who is like really in it and really knows the Lord will look similar externally to someone who maybe eventually is going to walk away. But ultimately that's up to the Lord. We don't know those things. We're not sovereign in that kind of way. Okay? And my job tonight is not going to try to classify anybody into different kinds of soil. But I want you to see as we start that Jesus is not, you know, foreign to this idea. Like he's not surprised by these kind of things happening in, in the world. Okay? So tonight, for the rest of our time, I, I want to go through just six different things that I think are helpful for us to think through um, when a friend walks away from the faith or when you hear someone else walking away. This is really going to be more personal, someone you know, someone you can talk to, not necessarily some celebrity you see on, you know, online or whatever. But you know, what do we do if a friend walks away from the faith? What are some things we can respond with? So I, I want to give you a couple things tonight just to think about, okay? Uh, so number one. This is obvious, right? It seems really simple, but it's really important is that we begin by, by praying for them. Uh, I know for me personally, it's so easy um, when I hear of um, someone, say someone uh, that I've been friends with for a while or even someone I just am friends with on social media I haven't seen in years, when, when they, 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 they post something or they you know, give an indication that they're no longer a Christian, they're no longer identifying in that kind of way. I know it's really easy for me to be like, like what happened? Like, and just begin to speculate and ask like, what, you know, what got them to this place? You know, even get like frustrated and be like, why, how could you, you know, turn away from, the, from Christ, all these things. And it's so easy to get into speculation and even honestly judgment in my heart instead of beginning with prayer for them. And so if you have a friend who has walked away or seems to be heading in that direction, 
the first thing that we, that we really should do is go to God in prayer for them, that we should pray for them because, you know, in the midst of, you know, deconstruction or walking away, people are wrestling with tons of things and we'll, we'll talk with that, about that in a minute. But one thing that we want to pray for people as we know that they've walked away or they're in the process, that we would pray that God, that God would meet them in whatever they're wrestling with and show himself to be better than whatever it is they think they're being offered outside of the faith. That we would pray that God would meet them in their disappointment and in their pain and whatever's making them walk away and help them see who he really is and maybe not the caricature that they think he is in that moment. You know, that, that we would pray that God would open their eyes you know, to maybe look above whatever circumstances or pain or whatever they've experienced, whatever intellectual doubts they may be having to look up and lift their eyes to him who is there, him who wants to meet them in those things. That we would pray that God would change their hearts. He would change their hearts from maybe being a rocky soil or a soil that has vines and, and thorns that's choking out following Christ. And instead, he would change their hearts to be a heart that's, that's receptive to what he wants to do in their life. That we would also pray that God would put the right people in their life. I mean, you, it's, it's no surprise that many times when people begin to walk away from the faith, they have people around them that are speaking, you know, not the gospel into their life, but maybe speaking doubt, maybe encouraging them in doubt, encouraging them to consider other things. And so, I mean, sociologists tell us that we're really just the byproduct of about the, the five closest people to us. And so if we begin to surround ourselves with people that push us away from Jesus and push us into doubt, push us into th- other things to walk away from Christ, you know, what, there's no surprise that maybe we're going to have that pressure grow over time. So maybe you, you need to pray that they would have some, if, if it's not you, if you're not near enough to them to do this, that maybe God would put specific Christians in their life to walk with them through this process to maybe that they would, they would turn around and not keep walking away from Jesus. That he would put them, put right people in their life. And another thing you could pray for is that God would give them a discontentment in where they're at, they, they would come back to him. That whatever they, they think they, they need and whatever they're seeking outside of the faith, outside of Jesus, that he would make them so discontent with those things that they can't help but come back. I've heard people pray before that God would make people miserable <laughs> until they, they come back to him. That's a harsh prayer, but honestly, if you think prodigal son, it's kind of biblical, right? That the prodigal son didn't come back to the father until he was eating pig slop, right? That he was like, man, I'd rather eat what the pigs have than what I'm having from my master, right? So he was miserable. So there may be some, some biblical precedent there. But, but prayer is where we want to begin, where we want to begin. So I'll be honest, at some point, everyone in this room is going to have someone that you know who says that they're a Christian walk away. It says culturally too prevalent now and in your generation too common. Someone you know who's a Christian or says they're a Christian right now is probably going to walk away at some point. And we're all going to be faced with this question. So I want to challenge you and encourage you right now, begin with prayer. Okay, begin with prayer. And honestly, I mean, we've talked about in the past couple of months through 1 Timothy how important prayer is, that prayer moves the hand of God. So if we want to see God do things in people's lives, we got to pray for them. All right. That's number one. But second is this. This is just as important. Is, is listen to their story. You know, James has that famous uh, line, right? That we should be quick to what? Quick to listen and then slow to what? Speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. How often are we more quick to speak, slow to listen, right? Especially when it comes to this kind of stuff. Because what happens when, you know, if you're a Christian, you've been in the church for a long time and your, your good friend comes up and says, hey, I'm no longer a Christian anymore and this is why. What's your initial thing you want to be? Well, let me give you all the answers, right? Let me tell you all the ways that, that you're, you're wrong. Let me tell you all the books to read. Let me tell you all the verses I know that tell you this is wrong. Let me tell you how, you know, you're, a, you're backsliding. You, you're falling away. You, you, you must have not, never been a Christian in the first place. We have all these things we want to throw at them, you know, quick responses. But I can tell you, that, that ain't very helpful in, 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 the, in the 
initial run with most people. All right, this is all in generalities tonight. Okay, I can't speak to your specific circumstance. But we're really quick to just provide quick answers and responses when really the, the, the best thing we can do is listen. Because when someone walks away from Christ, in many ways for them, there is a mourning process that is happening. There's a, there's a grieving process that has led them to this. Even if they're angry and bitter at God, there's still some mourning and grieving. I think about the book of Job and how when Job has all his stuff just, just taken away from him, his friends come to him. And what's the first thing they do when they come to him? They just sit down and they just are silent with him for like, I think it's days in the book of Job. They just sit there. They don't say a word. <laughs> They're not quick to be like, Job, here's all. Now, they get into some other reasons later and they get really wrong. But the, their, their best moments are when they just sit with Job and just, listen, and just sit with him in silence. They just listen. So I thought we don't ever respond, but beginning with listening is way more, I think, of a, of a posture of humility and, and care and compassion for somebody than simply saying, here, let me give you all the quick answers I read on you know, this article on Gospel Coalition yesterday. This is going to solve all your problems, okay? There's a time for that, but maybe not right out the gate, okay? Because here's the thing. If, if you can talk someone and argue someone back into the faith, why can't someone else argue them right back out of the faith? If it's just arguments and just logic 100%, if you can talk them back in, someone else can talk them back out, right? I'm not saying that God doesn't use us. He absolutely does. But if it's just us kind of arguing, giving some quick thoughts to get him back in, they can get just as quick back out when somebody else gives them more compelling arguments in that case. Doesn't mean those arguments are are more true, but they can be more compelling sometimes in the moment. So we got to be really careful with the posture that we take. So you want to listen to their story and listen to, honestly, I think their story from the beginning, like what got them into the faith? Like ask them to share how they became a Christian. Ask them to share their experience as a Christian and then what began to lead them up to think, maybe I'm not a Christian anymore. Maybe I don't want to, want to do this anymore. Listen to their whole story. Because if you don't realize how they initially profess faith in Jesus, you're not going to know how hard it is for them to walk away. You need to hear their whole story because, you know, they may have made a rush decision to follow Jesus. Someone may have pressured them at some youth rally to pray and receive Christ when they really didn't know what they were doing. And so they may have never been a Christian in that sense. They had no real idea what the gospel was. They didn't know what it really meant to follow Christ. So it was easy for them to be like, yeah, I'm not about this anymore. I, didn't, I never really got it. That may have been their story, but they may have had just a shallow experience of Christianity. Their youth group or something may have been nothing but pizza and games and never heard the gospel proclaimed. And so they may have had a shallow experience that made it easy for them to walk away. They may have been hurt by, hurt by somebody in the church. They may have been hurt by somebody just in the, in the big picture church. They may have some person that they, they looked up to that, that you know, failed them in some way that said, if that's what Christianity is, I can't do that anymore. And we've had enough celebrity leaders recently just you know, fail in so big ways publicly that I understand how some people are wrestling with it. Is, if, this, if that's Christianity, can I really be a part of this? You know, if they were such a great faith leader and yet they did this, and then can I believe this anymore? I understand that, that question. You know, and they may, this person walking away may have been wrestling with hard questions for a long, long time. So you gotta, you gotta listen to their story and, and see where they're at before you initially begin to just shoot out the bullet point answers, okay? I'm not saying that it's not important to answer. We'll get to that in a minute. But we gotta listen first. We take a posture of listening. All right, so that's number two. Number three, we wanna consider what they are actually, excuse me, actually rejecting, because, you know, sometimes when someone walks away from the faith, the, the faith that they're rejecting is way more of a, of a caricature or a distortion of the gospel than the true gospel. Is it always the case? I'm not speaking in generalities tonight. But sometimes people walk away, what they're really walking away from is not like the true gospel. They're walking away from just 
a family heritage that they've received, you know, or they're just walking away from a, a church tradition that was just kind of comfortable for them, you know, or they're walking away from maybe an Americanized gospel that says that, hey, if you follow Jesus, life will be easy, right? that, that God's going to give you everything you need, that you won't have hard times, and then hard times come, and they're like, well, this ain't working, I'm out. You know, that many times in America, we believe more in moralistic therapeutic deism where God's gonna just make it, he wants us to be good people. He's kind of there for us when we need him. He makes us feel better about life. And then that's all he really is when that's not the biblical gospel at all. And many people, once they get into hard times, reject that because it's not the true gospel. And so we gotta ask them, you know, and kind of dig in in conversation, kind of understand what are they really rejecting? Because sometimes it's not even the true gospel. And that gives us a chance to talk about more of the, the real Jesus. And we'll get to that. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes they're wrestling with really hard questions. And I, I saw an article just recently from a Barna, um, the Barna Group. They're like a Christian research ministry or organization. They do a lot of research um, in the church and in culture. And they listed six reasons that young Christians are leaving the church today. Six reasons that young Christians are leaving the church. And, and this is the kind of stuff that like, you know, gets me up in the morning because I'm passionate about reaching your generation because so many of your generation are just leaving church and just not connected with the gospel. I'm so, so thankful that y'all are here, but my heart is to reach your generation because um, the church is not doing a great job of it right now. But they listed six reasons that young Christians leave the church. And, and, and the first one, this is, I think, helpful for us to understand why people are maybe walking away from the faith. The first one is this, is that churches seem overprotective, that many churches seem to be more about what they're against than what they're for. They, they're fighting a culture war about, you know, uh, politics and stuff like that more than they're fighting for the gospel and more they're, they're about mission. So if you hear me talk about mission a lot and making disciples, it's because I want that to be our main focus and not all the other things that churches sometimes become against, whether they're in for, okay? Honestly, going through this list, you'll probably, you'll probably understand why I talk about the things that I do just from this list alone. But so there's that, you know, the churches seem overprotective, you know, that, that, um, that these people had a desire to live their faith in a way that's connected to the world, but they felt like the church did focus more on demonizing the world than trying to reach the world. So that's one reason they walk away. You know, the second reason they walk away is they felt like their experience of Christianity had been shallow. They felt like their um, experience of church was boring or it wasn't relevant to their life or it wasn't centered on the Bible. Um, about 20% of the people they interviewed said that God seemed missing from their church experience. All right, that, that break your heart. That God was missing from their church experience. Uh, number three, they said that churches seem antagonistic to science. You know, they said their church experience seems like Christians had all the answers and that, you know, that the church was, you know, really against science. That they were out of step with the scientific world that we live in, maybe even anti-science. They were really turned off by the whole creation evolution debate. And some who were in scientific fields really struggled to know how their faith fit into their career in science. They thought the church was anti-science. Number four, I'm not saying this is all true, by the way. I'm saying this is how they feel and perceive, okay? Uh, number four is th their church experience related to a sexuality that is too simplistic and too judgmental. Because in these, in these days, we live in a very hyper-sexualized culture. And these people said that they often felt judged and condemned in the church more than guided biblically in how to think about sexuality. They felt like the church's teaching on sexuality was out of date with modern times and more condemnation than anything else. So they struggled with that, so they eventually walked away. Uh, number five, they said that they wrestled with the exclusive nature of Christianity. I don't know if you know this, but your generation is actually the most diverse generation ever when it comes to things like race, ethnicity, sexuality, religion, technology, and sources of authority. 
that you guys are pulling from way more sources and thinking very um, more diversely about it as a generation than anybody has in the past. It's way more common for someone in your generation to have friends that believe different things spiritually than anyone else in the past. Honestly, me growing up, like, I never, I never knew a Mormon or a Muslim or any really, I, I, the most, like, different person religiously I could think of growing up was, like, an Assembly of God person, you know, <laughs> which is, they're very much in the faith with me, right? Very much uh, in Christ. But yet, it's way more common for you guys today to know someone who's maybe uh, atheist and has been that way for a long time, maybe Muslim, maybe a Mormon, you know, maybe has some, some Buddhist stuff going on. You know, I don't know. It depends on where you're from, where your experience is. If you're from small town Alabama, maybe not. But depending on where you're from, we have way more diverse experiences. So it becomes hard to think, okay, so like, so my atheist friend is a really good dude. And my atheist friend, with all his family doesn't believe in Jesus, but they're really nice people and they do really good things. But yet my church people tell me that atheists are terrible and they like, you know, sacrifice puppies in their backyard every night, you know, because they're just awful. But yet they're really good people. So like, if all Christianity is is being a nice person, then like, what, what's up with the atheist people? And they begin to wrestle with this kind of stuff and it eventually makes them think maybe I don't need Christianity to be a good person if that's all it's about. You see what I'm saying? So these people began to wrestle with that kind of stuff and they thought they were forced to choose between their friends and their faith. And ultimately they said, you know what, I'm out. I'm gonna choose my friends. They felt like ultimately the church was more just a country club for insiders than it was a place for people to really hear and follow Jesus and be welcomed in the midst of their struggles. And the last one is a really hard one. Is this, that the church felt unfriendly to those who doubt. The church felt unfriendly to those who doubt. They said they didn't feel like the church was a safe place where they could actually express their doubts. They wanted to ask important life questions and they wanted to wrestle with intellectual doubts. They didn't feel like the church was a safe place that they could do that. They also didn't feel like that their faith was even able to help them with like their depression or their emotional problems. And so eventually they said, if the church is in a place I can wrestle with this and talk about it honestly, then then I'm, I'm done. Those are all things that we're seeing in culture that people are walking away. You hear that list and you can probably see the reasons we talk about some of the stuff that we do here um, at ABC. But those are all things that may be going on in your friend's mind in life when they say, I'm, I'm done, I'm walking away. So your job then is not to give quick answers, but is to consider these things as you talk with them and to help clarify the things they have an issue with. But then not to give just quick, easy answers, but to sit with them and wrestle with this and, and hurt with them and then over time help them process it. So that leads us to number four, which is this, is empathize with them. You know, the difference between empathy and sympathy, right? Sympathy is that you've been through it and you can understand. Empathy is like you may not have been through it, but you still are going to be with, there with, it, with them and, and hurt with them even if you can't 100% understand. So you may not have gone through these doubts before, but you can still sit with them and listen. So we want to empathize with them. We, we don't condemn them. Listen, what you don't need to do whenever your, your friend who was a Christian or says they were a Christian and says, hey, I'm not a Christian anymore, you don't say, well, I guess that means you never were a Christian in the first place. Right? That is not the way to respond to them. It's going to be very helpful in that process, right? You don't say, hey, I guess you just fall away from the faith. You know, like that's not the way that you want to respond. Instead, you want to hurt with them. You want to empathize with them. Because like I said, many people walking away from Christ, this is a, a, a painful process. It's, a, it's a, poor, a, a process of mourning and grieving. Yeah, it may involve some frustration and some anger, but even in the midst of that, there's some grief involved in that. So you want to empathize with them in it. You want to listen. You want to mourn with them. But also, kind of going back to what we talked about a second ago, you want to give them some space to wrestle with their doubts. We do a really poor job in the church of giving people space to wrestle with doubt to where we don't like to talk about it. 
Um, we, we've kind of put on this facade sometimes that we all like have it together. We've never doubted, <laughs> you know, the faith and never had problems and issues with the Bible. Y'all, I, start, I have doubts all the time that I have to wrestle with, especially as I preach and teach the Bible and wrestle with hard questions. You know, I struggle sometimes with this kind of stuff. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm going to walk away tomorrow, but doubting is, is in many ways a normal part of the Christian life if you're really engaging with God deeply. If you have a surface level faith, you'll probably never doubt because you're never getting into the deep stuff. But I I heard on a podcast the other day, a guy said, I love this illustration. He's like, in many ways, doubting is like sneezing, right? Sneezing is your body trying to get something out and it's unhealthy to to hold the sneeze in, right? You, You look stupid like you're like, you know, like trying to like, you know, hold the sneeze in, you know, it's not, it's not good for you that way. But sneezing is something that's good for your body to help you deal with whatever you're trying to, trying to get out. And in many ways, doubting is like sneezing. And like, if we try to hold it in and just kind of like contain it and not express it, it's more harmful for us than us getting out and really processing it. Because really, when we doubt, what that can mean is that we're simply wrestling with some of the deeper issues as we follow Jesus. Doubting is not a bad thing in and of itself. The problem is, is that we can take two postures in doubting is that we can, we can feed our doubts, right? And we can give more into it over time, or we can feed our faith. That we can feed our doubts or feed our faith. The, the book of Proverbs compares um, people like, um, you could say like the skeptic versus the mocker. This, so the seeker versus the mocker. Proverbs will compare these guys to where the seeker sometimes is ones that wrestles with hard questions. He's seeking answers. But the mocker is the one who takes those questions and says, eh, whatever, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. They're like, yeah, I'm looking for reasons to get out. Versus the seeker is wrestling with the questions and, and trying to find some answers. And many times when it comes to doubts, in culture today, we're more prone to want to feed our doubts. We start doubting the resurrection of Christ. So we go and read, we read every book, every blog, every, we follow everyone on social media who can give us all the reasons that the resurrection didn't happen. Which, by the way, there's, there's very few arguments against it because it's very historical. But we start feeding all these doubts, right, in the name of research, and we stop feeding our faith. That keeps us saying, no, actually, here's all the good, good reasons it did happen. We cut ourselves off from Christian community, and we start feeding our doubts. And before we know it, no wonder we're off, in, off walking away from Jesus. So when we start to doubt, we, gotta say, we have to say that we have to feed our faith and not just our doubts. Really, we don't want to feed our doubts. We want to feed our faith. It doesn't mean that we ignore our doubts at all. The church needs to be a place where we can wrestle with this kind of stuff. We can have honest conversations it's okay, and I hope this is a safe place where you can have honest conversations about how you're struggling with something being true. You're struggling with what it means to follow Jesus. We want this to be a safe place where you can be honest about that and not feel condemned or shamed. But in the end, we want to be a place where we help each other process that stuff, but then not lean into our doubts, but ultimately lean instead into Christ to feed our faith and not feed our doubts, okay? And so we want to create a place in the church, and I hope a place in this college ministry where we can... Uh, wrestle with doubt together and be open about it, but also know in the end, we want to try to feed our faith and not our doubts. So that's number four. Number five is as we do all this, eventually, right, in conversation, we want to point them to the real Jesus. Point them not to the caricature they may have, but to the real Jesus. The Jesus who made space for both the doubters and the deniers. Let me, let me point this out to you. I love these stories in John. If you want to pull up in your Bible, John 20, Two stories I love, John 20 and John 21. I'll be brief with this. But John 20, famous story, when Jesus resurrects, there's this guy named Thomas that, that really struggles with it. In John 20, 24, it says this, that now Thomas, one of the 12, the 12 disciples, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So he didn't see Jesus when he initially appeared to the disciples, resurrected. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, I love this, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you see in that story that Jesus met Thomas where he was, he didn't show back up and said, Thomas, like get your act together. Like really, touching my side, touching my hand, like what do you want? Like who are you to demand these things from the resurrected Christ? <laughs> you know, is that how he responded? No, he's like, Thomas, put your, hand on my, you know, put your finger on my hand. Put your hand on my side, like see me as a real resurrected person, all right? And, he's, and he, he met Thomas where he was. And how did Thomas respond? He said, my Lord and my God. That Jesus met Thomas the doubter where he was. He had compassion for him, right? He didn't condemn him. And we as followers of Christ need to have the same kind of compassion for those that are wrestling with doubt, that we don't condemn them and push them away, but we meet them where they are. And if you know the story of Thomas, yeah, he, he gets, kind of gets a bad rap because he's called Doubting Thomas. But also if you go to India, like half the dudes there are named Thomas because Thomas went and, became, not Thomas, but like they have like a last name Thomas. Because Thomas, after uh, Jesus was ascended and commissioned out the disciples, Thomas went to India. He was the first missionary to India. And the church in India exists today because Thomas went. Like, and you can still go and, and there's tons of churches today that have Thomas's name connected to it somehow because he went and was obedient. So he gets a bad rap being the doubter, but then he went and was a baller when it came to missions in the world, all right? So he, Jesus made space for the doubter, but he also made space for the denier. Just move, move down to John 21, 15. John 21, 15, Jesus said this. This is when they had finished breakfast. This is now Jesus with Peter. Peter has after, you know, what happened with Peter, right? He denied Jesus three times on the night that Christ was uh, on trial, right? A false trial. Peter denies Jesus three times. The rooster crows. Peter just kind of is like, what have I done? He runs off in shame. He eventually goes, he's like, what, what can I do now? I guess I'll go back to fishing. So he goes back to fishing. And Jesus, after he's resurrected, shows up on the shore where Peter's fishing and says, hey, come, let's have breakfast. He meets him. And this is what happens. It's when they had breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter gets it. Why, why three times? He denied him three times. So Jesus is, is reinstating him three times. He says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus made space for the, the doubter in Thomas. He also makes space for the denier, right, in Peter. That Peter denied Jesus three times. And what does Jesus do when he comes back to meet Peter? He reinstates him three times. He meets him where he's at. But also he asks that question. He says, uh, he says Peter, 
Do you love me? Or he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Lots of people speculate on what he means by that. Like, is he talking about the, the, the fish or the fishing gear? They're, they're around, yeah, maybe. But I think one of the best ways to think about it is he's saying, because there's probably more disciples around at that moment. He's saying, Peter, do you, do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than these other guys? But he's not trying to make Peter compare his love to the other disciples. Because if you know the story of Peter, when Jesus first said, or one of the last times Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go and be crucified and die. You're all going to forsake me. What does Peter say? He says, Jesus, if the rest of these guys leave, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I don't care if everyone else leaves you, I'm staying. But then what happened? He was like one of the first guys to run off. So Peter has already set this precedent of comparing himself. And so when Jesus says, Simon, and P- Simon Peter, do you love these guys? Or do you love me more than these guys do? He's not trying to get Peter to compare his love to the other disciples. He's trying to get Peter to compare his love to his weak love he has in that moment. He's trying to get Peter to examine the weakness of his love for Jesus to really call him back to a stronger love for him. And that's what he does when he reinstates him. He says, listen, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yeah, but just the way you denied me, come back. That Jesus made space for Peter and he met him where he was at. He showed compassion to him. He didn't condemn him. He met him where he was at. And that's what we want to do as Christians, right? That for those that are struggling with doubt, those that have maybe walked away, have denied, we don't just heap condemnation and just say, yeah, I guess you never were a Christian, you know, um, just be gone, whatever, do your thing. No, we, we meet them where they're at with compassion, with humility. We listen, and we help them think through where they're at and we give as best as we can through the Lord's leadership, compassionate responses and try to help them think through, you know, what it might mean to not follow the God or the Jesus that maybe they had you know, misunderstood maybe through church or through whatever, but instead follow the true Jesus who makes space for the doubter and denier, whose arms are open wide to anyone who would come to him, even come back to him. That's the Jesus that we proclaim. A practical way to do that would be maybe say, hey, let's read through a gospel together. Hey, I hear that you're struggling with your faith. I hear you've maybe walked away. If you have a good enough relationship, you can say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's take time and, and, and read about the real Jesus. You know, let's, let's maybe not go through this book quite yet. You know, maybe let's, get to that later, but let's start with talking about the real Jesus. Go through the book of John, go through the book of Luke, and read and see who Jesus really is, not who we maybe misunderstood him to be sometimes in our culture. So that's number five, and then lastly, and we'll be done, is that we want to trust the Lord. Seems simple, but trust the Lord. Because the thing is, is someone who's walked away from the faith very well may come back to the faith, But if we slam the door in their face as they leave, we make it so much harder for them to come back. So much harder for them to come back. Because yes, theologically, we do know, and I do believe that if we are in Christ, we can never really be lost in Christ. I think the Bible clearly teaches us this in John 12, 28, that Jesus says, I give them eternal life, that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That no one can snatch them. He goes on to say, no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So theologically, we believe that, yes, you know, not once saved, always saved. I don't like that. It's if saved, always saved. I think we bank too much on the once saved as if I pray a prayer at VBS and I'm good. But if there's no fruit in your life, you have no reason to, you know, say you have a relationship with Christ. Fruit is the evidence. But if saved, always saved. The perseverance of the saints, I believe that's a biblical doctrine. But at the same time, in different people's seasons in life, they may have a period where they struggle with doubt. They maybe struggle with walking away and they may be coming back. But if we're the ones who are saying, hey, just don't let the door hit you on the way out, 
We're not helping at all. We're not modeling the heart of God to them as they wrestle with these things, okay? We want to be known as followers of Jesus who made space and met the doubters and deniers where they were, not with condemnation. Yes, we want to have the conversations. And yes, there is a time where you get out the apologetics book and you get out, you know, you, get, you listen to some sermons together online and figure out some stuff. You work through the nitty gritty. I want to help you guys if you ever had those issues to work through. I want to be there for you with that. But we got to start with humility, compassion, love, listen to them. And then as we listen, begin to walk with them, point them to the true Jesus, and then begin to get to maybe some of those tricky questions as that comes, okay? So with that said, I have you guys uh, three questions to talk about tonight at your tables. Uh, You guys take about 10 minutes to do that, and then I will uh, come back up and dismiss us. Okay, let me pray for us real quick. God, we are humbled and and thankful that, that you have pursued us in love, that, that none of us on our own have pursued you, but really you have pursued us in, in grace, that on our own we're broken and we're dead in our sin, that we are bent away from you, but only you in, in your power and your spirit have opened our eyes to, to see who you are and drawn us to yourself, that, that we in no way can, can brag or boast on um, the thing that we're so um, pr- glad that, that we have, you know, just chosen you and held on to our faith and just endured and, and done so well. But in the end, Lord, all of, our, all of our faith in the end comes from you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the source of our faith. And so, Lord, as we think through the idea of enduring with you, of persevering, our perseverance is only rooted in your grace. It's not anything in us. It's not our own character. It's only your grace that allows us to persevere because it's your spirit empowers us in that. There's no, there's no boasting in us who are persevering because it's only by your grace. I pray you would give us hearts of compassion and humility for those who struggle, those who doubt, those who even have, have walked away, that we would have your heart for them, that we wouldn't seek to condemn, to just push away, but we seek to be people that love, that, that listen, that want to enter into the, the hard questions and wrestle with it, but enter into it with hearts of, of compassion and grace and mercy. So I pray for these students that I know they're, they're going to have something like this happen in their life. They're going to they're gonna probably know someone at some point, maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now, who's going to say, hey, I, I, I said I was a Christian, but now I'm not, and here's why. I pray that you would use this time as maybe some seeds to plant, but you would also already begin to prepare, prepare them for those future conversations where they can be um, embodiments of your presence, embodiments of your spirit to be used by you in those conversations, in those moments pray you would guide their conversation at the table for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.